as we've been looking at all these different beliefs, one question that we should come to, one question that we should ask is, what does Christianity, what does the Bible, what does Christianity, what does Christian belief, what does it say about the end of the world? What does it say about the end of the world? This is the Sunday where I get to uh, don my my best fire and brimstone and sign, you know, the end is near. And so I've been looking forward to this Sunday for a long time. I get to be a street preacher, finally. Uh, Many people like to talk about the end of the world, right? And there's a lot of conversation about the end of the world. Some of you probably like movies that have to do with the end of the world, whether that's kind of Hunger Games type stuff or Mad Max kind of stuff, those apocalyptic, the end of the world, what's it going to be like, what's it going to look like? And some of you, as we look around the world, it might feel like, is this the end? We look at wars, look at sickness and disease, look at shootings, we look at the way that the culture goes. Sometimes, maybe for some of you, look at different climate things and wonder, and sometimes there's a whole branch of movies of the end of the world in a climate sense. And we can wonder, is this the end of the world? What are we supposed to think about the end of the world? What does the Bible say about the end of the world? Some of you may fear that. Some of you may fear this feels like it's the end and it might bring up fear. Some of you maybe don't really even care. Just like, eh, whatever. Maybe it's the end. Maybe it's not the end. Who cares? Some of you maybe just ignore all that stuff and just live your life and do your thing. And none of those responses, whether that's fear or ignoring or apathy, none of those is what the Bible actually calls us to. The Bible says we should be thinking about the end of the world. The Bible speaks about the end of the world often. So what do we need to know about the end of the world? What do we need to know about what Christian belief says about the end of the world? If you don't know the end, it's hard to know how you should live now. If you don't know what the end is going to be like, it's hard to know what the present should be like. How the end is should inform how the present is. Even, I'll just give you a, a, an imperfect analogy, but when you think about watching a, a, a game, maybe you're watching a football game, and you don't know exactly how it's going to end, you don't necessarily know who's going to win, you don't necessarily know who's going to lose, you know if it's the Broncos they're going to lose, but you don't necessarily know how it's going to go. You don't know exactly, sadly, it's true, right? You don't know exactly what's going to happen, but you do know some things. You know that there's four quarters. You know, and some of you are like, I didn't know that. Well, okay, this is educational time, right? You know that there's four quarters. You know how long they last. You know that a team will win when the clock reaches the end. Like, there's certain things you know about the end that control how you are experiencing the game whether with anticipation of what's going to happen and like, oh, we're almost there, or man, we, we blew them out. Sometimes people leave early. They're like, we know we won, or we know it's totally over and there's nothing that can happen in the last three minutes. So some way of what you understand the end to be like, how you know the end, affects and influences your experience of the present. And the Bible says we need to understand the end if we're going to understand our present. It affects your choices. It affects your life. The Bible really does want to take the end of the world and have it influence our reality now. The Bible speaks about it often. This would be the doctrine. This is what the doctrine is called, the doctrine of eschatology, which means the last things. It's the doctrine of the last things. So what do we need to know? What does the Bible say that we need to know about the end of the world? What does Christianity teach about this? And there's four questions I want us to explore, starting with, in some ways, the most simple. Will Jesus return? Will he return? I don't know if you think about this much. I don't know if it's kind of in your, if if it's in your mind or if it's something, you know, as you think about faith, there's probably a lot of things about faith that you do think about regularly. I don't know if you think about this at all. But the Bible is filled with language talking about the return of Jesus. Just to give you a sampling, Jesus says, This is why you also are to be ready, because the Son of Man, that's one of the ways he referred to himself, is coming at an hour you do not expect. If I go away, this is as he's about ready to die and leave, he says, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and take you to myself. Thessalonians, Paul says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, saying Jesus will return. Second Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief, talking about him returning once again. The book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, ends almost right at the end, says he who testifies about these things says, Jesus speaking, yes, I am coming soon. That was written about 2,000 years ago. So Jesus might be like some of your friends that say, I'm on my way. I'll be there in a minute. And you're like, okay. And Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And the book of Revelation ends saying, amen, come, Lord Jesus. So the Bible is filled with language talking about Jesus will return. The earliest creed or confession that the church has is called the Apostles' Creed. Uh, by tradition, it was built by the apostles. We don't know for sure if that's true. It's not in the Bible, but it is the earliest confession, and it simply says this he is, about Jesus. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. So Jesus will come again. This is what we believe. We believe that Jesus will return. He will literally, physically, bodily return. Not just in spirit, not just in his message. He will literally, physically, bodily return to this earth. That is what the Bible consistently teaches. This is what we believe as Christians. And why does that matter? Well, it helps orient us. I don't know if you have seen, I know some of you are too young to have seen them when they came out, but I grew up watching a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, and you've probably at least heard, you know, a famous line that he will say in a lot of his movies where he says, I'll be back, right? And I won't do an Arnold voice. I know some of you wanted me to, but I <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> I sing from time to time, but accents are not my thing, okay? <laughs> they all end up sounding Italian somehow, so I'll be back. Uh, like, that's, that's not Arnold. You're like, that's not what he sounds like. But he will say, I'll be back. And what, why? Why does that matter? Because he, it's trying to orient the people that he's going to save. It's trying to orient the people that are in the middle of some trauma or in some need of rescue that he's saying, it's okay. There's something you can hope in. There's, you're not being abandoned. I will come again. So it, even though it's in some sense a very simple statement to say Jesus will return, it's actually really helpful to keep in our minds. It orients us to say, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're experiencing, we are not abandoned. He will return. That's the first answer to our first question. Jesus will return. When will Jesus return? Have you heard different predictions? Have you heard different answers to this question of when Jesus will return? Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, said that he would return in 1890. He missed that one among 99% of things. The Jehovah's Witness say that Jesus would return in 1914, and then subsequent predictions followed that. How Lindsay, many of you probably don't know that name, but he predicted that Jesus would return in the 1980s. There was a very prominent book that came out in 19, I don't know, maybe 87, it sold millions and millions of copies, saying all the reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. And it didn't happen. Then he wrote another book, 1989, and then another book, 1994, and some stupid people keep buying the book. I don't know if you remember this. More recently, I remember when this was all over, I remember seeing these billboards in 2011. A man named Harold Camping said Judgment Day would come. This was you know, not that long ago. I don't know if they, that, these were all over. Millions and millions of dollars. People sold their homes, pulled their kids out of school. The Bible guarantees it. By the way, this was his second prediction. He also predicted in 94. Tons of predictions of when Jesus will return. Isaac Newton, by the way, predicted that Jesus would return in the year 2060. So at least he had the wisdom to set it way far out from when he was living. No one could prove him wrong, you know, in his lifetime. It's like, I got gravity right. I think I might get this one right. As a kid, I, I, I was around this kind of teaching all the time. 
I remember being in churches and having speakers come and talk about when Jesus was going to return. I remember one lady in particular talking about when Jesus was going to return and then something about barley. I don't remember every, I just remember we we're supposed to eat barley and Jesus was coming back in 1999. And I was a kid, so I don't remember the connection, but maybe not enough people ate barley. What does Jesus say? When will Jesus return? You want to know what Jesus says? This is very important. Here's what Jesus says. This is why you also are to be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Therefore, be alert because you don't know either the day or the hour. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. A little bit different, but in the book of Peter it says this, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. So when Jesus says he's returning soon, well, so far it's only been two days. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why is he waiting long in our understanding? He's patient. He wants people to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, meaning when you don't expect it. Thieves don't come when you're planning on them coming, right? Like at 3 o'clock, I'd like my car to be broken into. They come when you do not expect it. Over and over again, the teaching of the Bible is very simple. You do not know when Jesus will return. So as soon as you hear a prediction, as soon as you hear I, this, listen, for some of you, this is probably more important than others. Some of you, again, you don't care. You don't think about these things. But for some of you, it might cause a lot of stress when you start hearing about all these predictions and all these things over and over and over again. What the Bible says is you don't know. It will come when you don't expect it. Nobody knows. That's the answer. So as soon as somebody says it, you should at least say, if they get it right, it's pure coincidence. Because nobody knows. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour. It's going to come at a time, not when the book says, but a time you do not expect. That's when it's going to come. Some of these people that have said this have publicly repented, saying, whoops, I miss those Bible verses. When you hear those things, ignore them. You can have peace. You don't have to stress about it. You don't have to figure it out. You can have peace. You know who knows? God knows when Jesus will return. And he is in control, which means it will be the right time in history. He is wise. He knows when it will happen. We don't need to. And we shouldn't try to figure it out. Now, this is perhaps one of the most debated questions within Christian teaching. We can talk about, we don't know when Jesus will come, even though some have made predictions. We can talk about when will Jesus come, we don't know. But then there's a whole understanding of when in history is it that he's going to come? What are some of the things around that that will take place? When Jesus finally establishes his kingdom, when is that going to happen? This is, when you read the confession that I put up earlier, here's what the church confesses that we all are united around. Jesus will return, period. That's it. They couldn't really get that far beyond that. Because there's a lot of debate, and probably one of the most debated things in Christian teaching is around this question. And so when I answer this question, not definitively, just as a heads up, but when I answer this question, it's going to be a little bit uh, educational in the sense that I want to give you an overview of the various things that are out there, but at the end, I'm not going to settle on something. And you should just know it is one of the most debated things, and that's okay. Because we all confess, if you're a Christian, Jesus will return. He will return to judge the living and the dead, or the quick and the dead. That's what the creed says. That's what we believe. That's what all Christians should believe. If you don't believe that, that's outside of what biblical Christianity is. That's what we believe. When exactly that's going to happen, how and what place that happens, there's a lot of debate around it. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are very clear. And then there's some things in the Bible that we say, we've got to hold it with an open hand. We're not exactly sure. We know he will return, but when and exactly what that looks like, not sure. 
So I want to give you one of the key passages that people look to about this and then give you the various views, just so you can at least know what they are and I'll wait on some of them a little heavier. So when will Jesus' kingdom come or what is often referred to as the millennium, the thousand-year, whether literal or metaphorical, the thousand-year reign? When will this happen? One of the key passages, there's, there's three slash four main views around this. Here is the passage that a lot of the debate is around, okay? So here's the passage, Revelation 20. Of course, it's in Revelation. There's, you know, a lot of debate. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, Satan, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. This is where you get the idea of the mark of the beast. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him, that's that kingdom language, for a thousand years. Keeps repeating this thousand years, thousand years. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is one of the passages that talks about the thousand years, the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ's kingdom. When is that going to happen? That is really what a lot of the hot debate is about, when, whether you've heard this language or not before, when people talk about when's Jesus going to return, or Antichrist, or Mark of the Beast, a lot of that debate comes out of this as one of the central passages. So when is this going to happen? So let me give you the four views. The first one is what is called, this, this is from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book, and he calls it pre-tribulational premillennialism, or dispensational pre-millennialism, whatever. This is why nobody likes millennials. See, this is the problem. <laughs> Another reason causes debate. Dispensational premillennialism. This got very popular in the 1830s. It really didn't exist before then. So I will present to you various views. This is the one that I would say I find very difficult to find any biblical warrant for and that is one of the most popular views. And that many of us, if you've grown up in the church at all, or even just in America, have been influenced by. It's the view that they make movies about. It's the view that uh, had a best-selling series of books, the Left Behind books. And it is the newest view in the 1830s that no one really believed before then. And a view that I would argue has the least biblical backing for but many of you have probably been exposed to it. And here's what it says. That there is the church age. We're living in this now. When Jesus has established his church. And then there will be a rapture. That's where this language comes from. Where people are sucked up into heaven. The catching up or rapture of believers to be with Jesus. Then there's seven years in the middle. A tribulation that has all sorts of horrible evil things happening. Mark of the beast. Antichrist all sorts of things from the book of Revelation. Then Christ returns again. So there's really two returns of Jesus. There's an initial return of Jesus here to rapture, then another return here where he comes down. Then the thousand-year reign, whether literal or metaphorical, takes place. And this, that's not the end. Non-Christians and everybody, they're still on the, the world. 
then resurrects unbelievers and they experience judgment and then you've got the final eternal state. This is one of the most common views that exists. If you've ever heard anything about Mark the Beast, Rapture, Antichrist, a lot of those things come from this view. This is the view that I grew up with as a kid, terrified of the rapture. Terrified. Will I be ready? Lots of Christian songs in the 80s and 90s talked about, I wish we'd all been ready. And, talk, and it's terrifying. I would cry, and my older brother would put it on the radio, you know, to, to make me cry and freak out. Like, am I going to be ready? And if any of you grew up during that time, you probably had some experience of coming home and your parents not being there and being like, ah, the rapture happened. <laughs> oh, no, they're just in the bathroom, you know, whatever. <laughs> all sorts of crazy movies that came out in the 70s and all sorts of stuff. You can go look it up just for fun. It's pretty entertaining. I do not believe this. Again, this is the newest view that exists, and it's the view that I have to say has the least biblical warrant for it. Okay? If you want to talk about that later, I'm happy to. I just want to present you these views. The second view is what is called classical or historical premillennialism. This was the view that for a long time was probably most prominent in the early church. Many of the early church fathers would have espoused some form of this view, and it is similar except that it's the church age happening, then a tribulation happens, meaning things get worse, persecution increases, possibly there is an antichrist, or maybe it's multiple antichrists, people that are against Jesus and his teaching, but it gets worse, and then this, it still shows this kind of rapture, but in quotations, but it's immediate. There's not a seven-year thing. It's believers are caught up with Jesus, and then Jesus comes. It all kind of happens simultaneously. That Jesus returns to the earth, thousand-year reign, and then the rest of this is the same. Ultimate judgment comes here. This is, many people believe this. This has biblical warrant. The author of this book that I've recommended, Systematic Theology, he would espouse this view, although understanding the ins and outs of the different views. So the, the key thing to understand in this view is that there's a church age and then things get worse. And then Jesus returns. That's what happens. Gets worse, Jesus returns. Another view called post-millennialism is that Jesus' kingdom comes after the millennium. So the church age happens, we're living in now, and then at some point we experience the thousand-year reign, the thousand-year kingdom, but really what happens is we as Christians, I'm saying we, not but we have the kingdom ready for Jesus when he comes back. So this view expects not things to get worse. It expects things to actually get better and better. It expects that there will be progress. It expects that when Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples of all the nations, that that will be successful, that you will see lots and lots of progress that happens, that you will see more people come to Jesus, that you will not even just see people coming to Jesus just in an individual kind of way, but you'll see more and more Christian institutions and perhaps even government established where when Jesus returns, it's kind of like the kingdom is ready for him now. This is a view that was popular among many of the reformers, many of the Puritans. When you have times where the church is very successful in society, it, it makes sense. People are like, it's happening, it's happening. So in the founding of America, and you've got Christian government and when Constantine took over and you start, you know, persecution ends and you start seeing all these things, people start to feel like, okay, yeah, this, this seems like this is going well. Then Jesus returns into a state that is good, not into a state that's bad. He returns into a state that's good. Resurrection of believers and unbelievers and judgment all happens and then the eternal state. This would expect that during the millennium, there are still people that are not Christians. There's still people that resist Jesus, but it's less and less and less. It's more on the fringes because there's been wide success of the power of the gospel moving forward. And then the final view is what is called amillennialism. A is a prefix that means no or uh, not necessarily anti, but without, which says there's no future millennium. 
But that right now, right now, within the church age, the millennium is happening. That the millennium is happening in heaven currently with the saints that have gone before us, the Christians that have gone before us, that they are currently experiencing this millennium period, this thousand-year reign in heaven. They're experiencing his rule there now. And this view would expect that things will get better on this earth before Jesus returns, and they will get worse. Both will happen simultaneously. You will see the progress of the gospel moving forward in some pockets, and you'll see lots of persecution and resistance in other pockets. Jesus rules now in heaven simultaneously with the church age. This view, like post-millennialism, believes that lots of the prophecies in the Bible that talk about the end of the world have already been fulfilled. That many of them happened in the year 70, 80, 70, with the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. So a lot of the things that talk about kind of the end and signs and antichrists, it has more to do with things that already happened in the past. It has to do with Nero and Rome and a lot of the mark of the beast is really about Nero and Rome, persecution that people were experiencing at that point. So both post-millennialism and amillennialism have that in common. That much of Rome is either things that already took place or are patterns that continually take place. This is the view that I would lean towards, although I understand there's good merit for at least the three views that I gave, not the first view. <clears throat> Which one is right? I don't know. I heard somebody say, I reserve my opinion to change my position mid-air. You know, <laughs> it's like, as I'm, oh, I guess, you know, <laughs> I reserve my right to change my opinion mid-air. I would say I agree with that, though I lean towards the last two. But we should have charity with those that believe what the creed says, which is Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And there's actually a lot of agreement among them. Even though there is disagreement, and it's not insignificant, there's a lot of agreement. It says that there are things that are difficult in our world. It says that there is suffering that is difficult, and we have a mission. We have a mission. Whether that mission will ultimately be successful and will give the kingdom to Jesus, or that mission might have some success, or, or the mission is going to be met with tons of resistance and persecution. Either way, we have a mission as God's church on this earth. And ultimately, evil will be dealt with. And injustice will be dealt with. And suffering and pain and sin will be dealt with. And Jesus will return. So ultimately, they all share those convictions. The conviction of what we're supposed to do now because Jesus is returning. And the conviction that he will return and rule forever. They share those convictions. When will his kingdom come? I don't know exactly. But it's probably one of those four things. <laughs> Although I heard someone say, and there's this other view that I've developed. And I was like, next. I don't know. It's too many views already. Okay. Now, final question is this. How do we prepare for Jesus' return? How do we prepare? Jesus will return. We don't know exactly when. There's some debate around when, that, when his kingdom will be established, when it will come. But how do we prepare for Jesus' return? Whatever view you hold, how do we prepare and here's, here's what happens. At times, we think life is short. At times, that, that comes to the forefront for various reasons in your life, right? At various reasons, maybe a loved one that's close to you dies. Maybe something happens. But at times, we kind of have that, that wave or that sensation of, man, life is short. I know at various times, people that have been close to me that have died, and I get that feeling very profoundly. Sometimes it's as your kids start to grow up and you go, man, life is short. So what? Life is short, so what? Well, there's a big craze right now of actually de-aging and what can we do to, to turn back the biological clock. And there's even like a de-aging Olympics that they measure how much have you been able to reduce your biological age. Sometimes it's achieve your bucket list or set your goals or sometimes life is short so make a difference or hold the ones you love close or there's all sorts of things we fill in the blank with of because life is short do this but the bible tells us this 
because life is short, there is a way that we should live. There is a way that we should live. Because life is short, there is a way we should live. So, interestingly, I would say, while the Bible can be debated on various things around when Jesus returns, and I would say it's not as clear as we might like it to be, it is very clear on what we should be doing to prepare for Jesus' return. There's no debate on what we should be doing to prepare for Jesus' return. And there's much conversation in the Bible pointing us to say, the end is coming. Jesus will return. Therefore, and that therefore is very clear. Which is why I said at the beginning, if you don't think about the end, it's completely unfaithful to what the Bible actually calls us to. The Bible does say we don't know, but it also says because we don't know, and because he will come like a thief when you don't expect it, here's how you should live. It is very clear. We should be thinking. Jesus will return. Here's what my life should look like. Let me give you this parable that we will spend some time exploring what it means. Jesus says this. He's explaining this parable when they're asking him when he's going to return. And he says, be ready for service. and Have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this. If the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, kind of switches it a little bit, he would not have left, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus tells several different stories around his return and being ready for it. This is just one that I wanted us to look at that helps us understand what it means to be prepared for Jesus to return. And here's what he starts with. He starts with this word, ready. Be ready. And when I was preaching through the book of Luke, I preached through this passage. And that word, be ready, is literally gird up your loins. And loins would be a part of your body, lower. And to gird them up is to be prepared for battle. To gird up your loins means cinch everything up, get it tight. Put your cup on, kind of, is what it's saying. Okay, just not trying to, you know, freak you out, but that's what Jesus says. Gird up your loins. Be ready. You don't do certain sports without getting all the gear on, right? You have to get the loins prepared. You have to be ready. He says, be ready. And he says, he will find them alert. That is the first thing of what it means to be prepared for Jesus's return. Listen, Jesus knows our tendency. Just think about your own life. Would you say that your posture towards Jesus's return is loins girded? Would you say your posture is, I'm alert, I'm ready? Would you say that's how you think about your life right now? Would you say when you think about life is short and, you know, time doesn't, you know, we, don't, we, we only have one life to live and time goes quick and time flies, would you say your posture towards those things is so, I'm ready, I'm alert? Would you say that's what your posture is when you think about your life? Jesus knows that we are tempted to distraction, are we not? We are tempted towards, doesn't seem like he's coming, it's been a long time. Let me just kind of get on with my life. We're tempted towards busyness and just kind of doing a bunch of things. We're tempted towards a wrong focus and wrong, we're, we're ready and alert maybe towards this thing. We're tempted towards filling our life with different goals and priorities and maybe just not caring, maybe doubting. I don't even know. Who knows? 
What's it matter? I don't know when Jesus will turn, will return, so eh, let me just get on with my life. But Jesus says we are to have a posture, a mentality of readiness, alertness. Has there been a time in your life when you have had to be alert for something? It's probably different times. When maybe it is in a sports game when you had to be ready, you had to be alert, you had to be in ready position. Maybe it's when uh, some of you are pregnant or have had babies and you know there's certain things that, okay, we're ready. We got the go bag, right? Get to the hospital. You don't, you don't all of a sudden go, what happened? Water just came out of me. What do I do? What's, let's set up a baby room, right? That's not what happens. You're ready. You're alert. You're prepared. Is that what your life looks like right now? Is that what your life looks like for the return of Jesus? I'm ready. I'm alert. That's the first thing he gives us, which really is a, a heart posture, a way of living life, but does have practical implications. The, the next thing he says is this, you are to be like people waiting for their master to return. What does it mean to be ready? Well, you're supposed to be like people that are waiting for their master to return. That's what readiness looks like. I'm, I'm waiting for my master to return. So what would life look like if I was waiting for my master to return? I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a job where you knew, okay, the boss is going to come at some point. I remember when I worked at Red Robin, sometimes corporate would come and visit us. And everybody, you know, all the managers and everyone would kind of freak out. Okay, we've got to get ready because the master is coming. And we didn't call them like, oh, Lord Birdmaster. You know, we didn't say that. But when the master would come, things, we were ready. Maybe sometimes... When you were a kid, or maybe some of you kids today, if you know your parents are going to come back at a certain point, I remember at different times, like, okay, dad's going to be home at this point. We've got to be ready. Whatever that meant in that situation. He says we are to be waiting for our master to return. What are the messages that we hear? We hear life is short, therefore, do what you want. Life is short, so... Live your goals. Life is short, so be true to yourself. Life is short, so look inside and make the most of it. That's what we hear, right? Life is short, so look inside, think about you, make your dream board, make your plans, make your, what do you want? Because life is short, where this is the opposite. Life is short, so be thinking about him. Not life is short, so what do you want? Life is short, what does your master want? That's a very different mentality from how we live right now. You will all die. That's next week's sermon. So if you want to be encouraged, same time next week. It will be, it'll be good. I'll tell you how to be ready for your death. Which we need to, listen, I can't do next week's sermon, okay? But we will die. But so then what? Look inside and figure out how you, No. The Bible says time is short, and not just you will die, but because Jesus will return. What does the master want? Your life does not belong to you. Your life does not belong. Our life is not our own. It belongs to him. He is our master. He is our king. He is our Lord. So we are to say, I need to be waiting. I need to live my life saying, what would he want? What does it look like to use my life to honor him so that when the master returns and he checks in, I'm not frantic? The only way to do that is to actually learn what the master's will is. How can you be like people that are waiting for their master to return if you don't know what the master would want? Ready for the master to return, waiting for the master to return means we have to know what does he say he wants us to be doing? What is his will for us? Which is why many other places when the Bible speaks to this, it will tell us, it'll say things. Let me just show you a couple. It says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait 
for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we know that our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will return, because we know that, how do we live? Well, we reject lust. We live sensibly. We live righteously. We, we reject godlessness and live our life oriented around God because we know he's returning. So I don't know what you think about when you think about prepare for the return of Jesus. I've been to people's houses before with cans lined up. And there's nowhere in the Bible that says get ready for the return of Jesus with Campbell's chicken noodle soup. But it does say get ready for the return of Jesus by rejecting lust and living sensibly and living righteously. Or, keeps going, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to reject sin, to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. So part of how you are ready for the return of Jesus is this. I'm, I'm, do, I'm living in good works. Second Peter, I already quoted from part of this, talks about the day of the Lord comes like a thief, and since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. So how, how do we live prepared? Holy conduct, godliness. That means we are, are understanding what God says in his word and we're living according to it. Godliness means we're living our life in relationship to who God is. We're not rejecting and ignoring God, which is what sin is. We're living our life centered around him. First Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, how do you live? Be alert. Same word. Sober-minded for prayer. means you should pray. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Because Jesus is coming soon, love one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another. And I love the, the caveat, without complaining. All right, I'll be hospitable. Come on over. <laughs> Just as each one has received a gift... Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So because Jesus is coming, because the end is near, I've never seen someone with it. The end is near sign. Okay, so what do I do? Use your gifts to serve people. Love one another. Be hospitable to people. And yet, that is what the Bible instructs us to. It says there is a way to wait for your master. And the Bible's filled with this. You are, there's a way to wait for your master. And the only way to do that is to know what the will of your master is. You have to know what his will is. The Bible reveals his will to us. Are you looking at your life and thinking about the will of your master? Or just thinking about you and what you want to do on the short time that you have on earth? This is why it's important to learn the will of our master when it comes to our time and our relationships and our money and our moral choices and our decisions and how we serve people. And this is why it's important to actually learn the will of the master. You cannot be ready for the return of Jesus if you're not reading your Bible. You can't be ready for the return of Jesus if you don't know his will. You can't be ready for the return. Of, that's why it's important to be here on Sunday, to be in community groups, to be in LTGs, to listen to God's word regularly, to be, because that's how you fill yourself with this is the will of the master and I'm going to, I'm waiting for him. This was already mentioned in the verse in Peter, but just to call it out specifically as this goes on, he says, be ready for service and says, blessed will be those servants Blessed is the servant who the master finds doing his job. One of the ways that we prepare for the return of Jesus is, are you doing your job? Are you serving? Are, do you view yourself as a servant? Oftentimes, even in the work world, when people are not watched, they just kind of do what they want to do. And Jesus says, you are a servant. Don't mistreat other people. Don't be lazy. Be ready for the master by serving. Which means this, your life matters. It means that part of the way you are ready for the return of Jesus is, am I serving in the way he has led me to serve? Am I doing my job? When Jesus returns, and if he, if he were to do this, if he were to knock on the door and say, tell me about how you're serving, would you have answers or would you go, ah, can you give me a week? 
How's it going with your family? How's it going with your kids? How's it going with your wife and your husband and your marriage and your church and your community group? How's it going in your community? How's it going? Are you doing your job? This is very different from how we normally govern our thinking around the time is near, the end is near. It isn't about us and our desires, but who Jesus is and what he says and what his will is and what he calls us to. So to live ready is to serve. And then the final piece, to live ready to be prepared for his return, is really to have a joyful expectation. It says that when he returns, blessed will be the servants. Jesus will return, says he will get ready, have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. So when he, re he, when he returns, he's going to serve us. It's going to be good. It's not just he comes and he's kind of checking the list. He, he comes and he's going to serve us. We're going to experience something better than we have now. That's why it will be blessed when he comes back. If you are the faithful servant that loves your master and is waiting for him to return, when he comes, it's, you're going to be blessed. He's going to come and actually serve. He's going to say, hey, everybody sit down at the table. I've prepared a feast for you. When he returns, it'll be a blessed day, which is why Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a blessed day when he returns. Oftentimes, I feel like when it's a conversation about Jesus returning, it's more of this terrifying day, which it is if you don't belong to him. But if you belong to him and you're a faithful servant, when he returns, it's the best day. Jesus is the best. And so when he returns, all that he is, all that we know him to be, it, we will get to experience that in full. I don't know, you know, again, some of you re might remember this, but greatest basketball player of all time. Not Kobe or LeBron, don't even go there. Michael Jordan, Okay. Come at me if you got a problem, okay? So, <clears throat> greatest of all time, okay? That's why I stopped watching basketball after the Dream Team. What's, what's left, you know? Really, truly, come on. <clears throat> I remember loving him as a kid, poster of him in my room. And then he left to play golf and baseball. So it's space, there's a documentary called Space Jam all about this, okay? <laughs> and then... And then it was announced, and this is how they advertise it, for those of you that were back. They announced it as the second coming, that he was going to return, the second coming. And, you know, that's probably sacrilegious, but it was also, as a kid that grew up hearing about the second coming, was like, oh, yes, the second coming of Jordan. And the reason that was so exciting is because everything awesome and amazing about Jordan, you were like, oh, that's going to come again. Gonna, it's going to be blessed. Basketball will be blessed again. We'll get to experience again his greatness and his glory and all that he was able to do on the court. We'll get to, we'll get to see it again. Now, it was a big letdown, but it won't be like that with Jesus. The second coming is supposed to be this day that we eagerly await for because it will be blessed. Everything that Jesus is, all of his greatness and glory that was experienced on earth will be 10 times more, infinitely more. He will come, and it will be a blessed day. So how do we prepare for his return? It's not enough to just say, I know he's returned. Yes, he is. But we need to prepare for his return. By being ready, by knowing the will of the master and living according to it, by serving, and by a joyful, eager expectation because of what it is that he will bring when he comes. Which means, as you are tempted in this world, use the return of Jesus to help your heart. As you're tempted in this world to go after all these things or focus on your own, remember who he is and let it free your heart from needing everything here. As you're afraid and face difficulty in this world, remember his return and how it will solve everything. Let your peace and your confidence be there. The world will end as we know it. Jesus will return. And knowing the end changes how we live now.
We might not know all the specifics and all the details, but we do know a lot. And knowing the end changes how we experience the present. So what do you need to know? You need to know that Jesus is returning. He will return to come to judge the living and the dead. And the greater that you understand that, the more that it controls your life today. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Part of what we remember when we take communion is the death of Jesus on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed. But Jesus also said, do this in remembrance of me. And he said that it's also a way that we anticipate his coming, remembering that he will come again, remembering that all that he paid for, that all that he bought, that all that he purchased through his work on the cross, one day we will experience the full benefits of that. The payment has been paid, the victory has been won, and one day we'll fully experience all of that when he returns. We wait for that. So as you take communion, take some time and confess sins. If, if there's areas where you say, I have not lived ready for his return, I've been more focused on me or on this or whatever it is, confess. And remember, he forgives you. And know that he has promised to return. Ask him to help you live ready for that day. To give you the courage, the hope, the purpose now for that day. If you didn't grab a little communion cup on the way in and you're a Christian, grab one of those cups and take communion when you are ready. And then we will sing a few songs in response. I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray for anybody if they have needs for prayer for anything. Father, I thank you for your promise to us that you will send Jesus again, that all will be set right, that all suffering will end, that all injustice will end, that all sin will end, that we will get to experience you fully. Thank you. Help us to live now ready for that day. As we take communion and as we sing, Lord, would you deepen these truths into our heart? Help us to respond in worship to you, our great King who will one day return. In your name, Jesus. Amen.